it made the highs really fucking high and it made the lows really fucking low. And I think that was the, the other really cool thing about it is when, when in a depleted state, that tends to happen. You know, like, like you're more on your edges, you're more afraid, you know? And so like, if there's joy, there's like, oh my God, I'm going to fucking cry. That rainbow is so beautiful joy, you know, or like, oh my God, I'm going to fucking cry because we made it to the top of this God damned fucking mountain. What's up, guys? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. Before we start, this is a quick announcement to let you guys know that I'm dropping bonus episodes on Auxoro Premium. For less than $5 per month when you sign up for the year, you get a two-hour bonus episode every month of my show, The Aux, that covers exciting and sometimes twisted topics like MK Ultra, the COVID lab leak hypothesis, Tim Dillon, Tom Cruise, the Tuskegee experiment, the obesity epidemic, and more. You also get monthly solo episodes with my takes on drugs, sex, money, creativity, mindfulness, and you have the ability to submit topic suggestions for both of my shows, The Ox and The Oxoro Podcast. Expect three hours of new exclusive podcast content per month, including access to all archived episodes found nowhere else but Oxoro Premium. Visit oxoro.supercast.com to sign up today. This is the best deal in podcasting. Three hours of exclusive podcast content to punch you in the motherfucking mouth every month for less than five bucks. No half-assed episodes here. Go to oxoro.supercast.com to join the premium gang today. What's going on, guys? I'm Zach, your host of The Ox, and today we have another episode with the savage Dave Robinson. If you're familiar with The Ox, if you listened to The Ox before, then you know Dave Robinson. He is the co-founder of Health and Revelry CBD products that can be found at healthandrevelry.com. He is also a holistic health and fitness expert and a professional story worker. You can follow Dave Robinson at at Get Strapped, Stay Strapped on Instagram. That is at Get Strapped, Stay Strapped. And today, Dave and I are talking about the 100 motherfucking mile trek that he went on with his partner through the Appalachian Trail. This episode is wild. This this is this episode is almost as wild as the trek because Dave went through physical and mental anguish, thousands, possibly, you know, millions of steps. I'll just throw that out there. It's probably in the millions. Uh, I have no idea how many steps it was, but I'm sure it had six zeros behind it. His th- there was a moment where food was not a certain thing that they had to uh, basically borderline starve for a little bit while also hiking actively for the hundred miles through the Appalachian Trail. And with all that, this podcast was almost as wild as the trek itself. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Can you believe a podcast, a conversation could be almost as wild as a as a hundred mile trek through the wilderness? Well, it is and it was and it continues to be because this is a conversation that will live on forever in the RSS feed and you guys are about to check it out. But before we begin the episode, I want to tell you about an offer that Dave Robinson and I are bringing to you guys, which is 
a discount on health and revelry CBD products. You can get a 15% discount on any health and revelry CBD product at healthandrevelry.com using the promo code Augzoro. That's health and revelry, health and R-E-V-E-L-R-Y.com, healthandrevelry.com using promo code Augzoro for 15% off any CBD product. There is the full spectrum uh, daytime blend. There is the full spectrum uh, anytime blend and the full spectrum nighttime blend. There are three different CBD tinctures. I personally have the anytime blend and I use this. I use this a lot of times on the weekends when I'm trying to detach from work. A lot of people love CBD to take it daily and use it with work. I prefer this one to detach from work. It kind of gives me that monkey mind calming feeling like that, almost like a relaxed kind of turning the anxiety down a little bit to help me let go on the days where I don't have a lot going on on the, you know, the one or two days a week where I'm not actively working on, on podcast things in my day job. It helps me turn off a little bit and relax into that, the, the anytime spectrum. And it's the only CBD that I have bought and used regularly. I have not bought any other CBD products. This is wonderful. It, it keeps me alert, but also calm. I'll use this to go hiking. I, I've used it on hikes. I use it before I work out. I use it before I'm doing, I, I loved pairing it with an activity. Like I said, especially on the weekends, if I know I'm going to do something active, no matter what it is, I love pairing the CBD with it. Again, you can get 15% off any CBD product on healthandrevelry.com using promo code Augzoro, A-U-X-O-R-O. This is an amazing product. I, I use it myself personally. I will vouch for it. And it's brought me a, a more dope and, and fulfilling life. So I hope you guys can use this code again. It's promo code Augzoro, A-U-X-O-R-O for any CBD product on healthandrevelry.com for 15% off. And now let's get into this motherfucking episode. Let's get into the the 100 mile trek, the 100 mile trekkie wecky with Dave Robinson, the savage. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Dave. At Get Strapped, Stay Strapped, baby. Dave Robinson, thank you for joining me on the Ox yet again. We're back. We're back and uh, we're savage as ever. You're savage as ever coming off the the 100-mile trek in the Appalachian Trail. And uh, but before we get into that, we were talking a little bit before I press record about the cold tub post that you put up on Instagram this morning and your caption. I don't remember exactly what the caption said, but it was something along the lines of the cold tub is obviously tough as shit. And having gone through the Appalachian Trail 100 mile trek, it may not seem as tough as it did before that because you've just gone through such a difficult thing. What was that experience with the cold tub? Um, what was that weekend about? And uh, kind of give people a background on that post on your Instagram at Get Strapped, Stay Strapped. On November 1st, 
2021. November 1st, yeah. Start of the best month ever. Just throwing it back out there. We're doing it again for November. So I went to a Wim Hof event, fundamentals event put on by Brandon Powell, who's a master Wim Hof practitioner in uh, the US. He coaches the coaches, teaches, certifies the coaches of Wim Hof, certifies the, the new Wim Hof instructors uh, on, on this side of, of the globe. So um, he also incorporates drumming and music and like little DJ stuff into the breath work as well, which is an added element. Um, with Wim Hof comes ice. So was at an event hosted by Rick McCoy at MMA Institute in Richmond, Virginia, and probably 25 to 30 people there, which is, which is key, which is important. Uh, because mm. when I found when I breathe or do breath work in a group setting, uh, we adopt a one lung mentality, right? And that one lung mentality means that we can effectively move more air and move more energy, right? You, you start breathing with someone. You start breathing with multiple someones, right? The group breathes together, right? And then now the group is a thing. The group is alive as opposed to us being individuals. And I've tapped in further, uh, held my breath longer, had just you know profound experiences with breath work when done in a group setting like that that's been very intentional and, and especially led because if if you're trying to keep track of when to breathe and when to exhale and and what to do and like oh are we on 25 or 30 or you know uh, sometimes you need to be reminded to breathe like hey we're getting back into it and like you hear the drums and you hear the rhythm again you're like okay cool let's breathe so when an instructor is leading that it's it's a profound profound experience um so those classes are are breathing first and then going into the ice so you Mm-hmm. you blast off <laughs> right and blast off baby blast off and then you come back down to earth and that coming down to earth is is very uh stark it's a stark juxtaposition between the bliss you often feel when you're breathing versus like wow now we're instead of being in the air in your head now we're 100 percent in our body because the cold does that instantly it's evolutionarily built in and the cold being submerged in the cold tub is the blast off. That's like when, when you shoot off. So opposite, opposite. Oh, the, opposite. That okay. is when you're getting pulled down into earth, mm-hmm. right? That's when you're getting pulled back into this reality, right? The blast off happens uh, really progressively throughout the Wim Hof ex- breathing experience, you know, because that, that basically is uh, 30 fast, inhales Mm -hmm. and shallow exhales right and then a hold and a squeeze and an exhale and you're holding your breath on an exhale right so you're doing (laughs) holding it squeezing it and holding your breath with no air in your lungs Mm -hmm. and you do that a couple times and go through that whole thing and you know let alone 10 20 30 times with a group for an hour that's the blast off you're not really perceiving things like we are now, right? Yeah, I, the reality I, I, shifter. I've done the the Wim Hof breathing exercises with the app, but I've never combined it with the the cold shower or the cold tub. And I, even as I'm talking now, I can feel that kind of the kind of bliss that you mentioned, where you are holding your breath after that last exhale, which seems very counterintuitive. I remember the first two weeks I was doing it, 
it it was blowing my mind that you could actually hold your breath longer on the exhale than the inhale. And then when you do it three times back to back to back and you finally breathe in on that last one and then you let it out, you breathe in, hold it for 15 seconds at something like that for, before you kind of purge for the next one. So I can't imagine what it would be like to combine that with cold tub work because already just sitting in my living room by myself on a pillow, there's a noticeable change in slight alertness, euphoria, things like that. So actually doing that in a cold tub sounds, you know, exactly how you described it, like that blasting off feeling. It is, it is. And you got to do it after the cold tub. Can't do it in a cold tub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never do Wim Hof in water or while driving a vehicle. And you probably shouldn't do it standing either. So I should should take my cold tub out of my car then that I had installed in my driver's seat because that's that's what I was going to do today. I was going to drive around with my cold tub doing Wim Hof exercises uh, in my self-driving Tesla that I don't have yet. Um, exactly. But no, good, good exactly. note. Good note. Don't don't do it in the cold tub. Do not drive or um, operate heavy machinery or any machinery. Probably probably like light machinery. For all those warnings, you probably shouldn't operate machinery of any weight for those uh, medications or or things. I that wouldn't it even take out scissors. Do. Yeah, yeah don't, don't even <laughs> take out scissors. Your hands are cold. Scissors. You're going to lose motor function. Yeah, none of that stuff. None you, of that you, stuff. Yeah, you uh, never you, you never you never know how it's going to hit you. Exactly. Exactly. To, to your point, going back into that ice, like going into the ice afterwards, right? You add on the alertness that the Wim Hof gives, and then you add on the visceral feeling of being alive that you get after you are in the ice and after your body overcomes that, that oh shit moment of everything that happens, right? Because it's, it's so evolutionarily built in. Like when we get into cold water, that's really fucking bad, <laughs> yeah. right? If we stay there, if we stay there. Now we can uh, acute stress. You know, we talked about this before. It, it, the, the hormesis that comes, you know, the the benefits that come from you know exposing yourself to acute stressors over time is are, are huge. And so, having that feeling of being alive from the breathing, having the group camaraderie, and then getting into the ice bath and like cheering everybody on, like a lot of people's first time. A lot of people, you know, have a stress response and oh god, right? you get that freak out, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, no, we got this. We breathe, we chill, and then boom, now they're in there for two minutes, three minutes, and they get out, and there's like not only a sense of feeling alive that you get internally and physiology phys- physiologically, right? You get the empowerment of holy shit, I didn't think I could do that, right? And that was really fucking hard. And here I am on the other side. You know, overcame my mental fears, overcame my physical fears. Yeah, maybe now I'm shivering and whatnot, but get the breath back, be calm, be present, be aware. And a lot of things can shift for people very quickly with an ice bath. What's up, guys? This is a quick break in the episode to tell you about Auxoro Premium. Auxoro Premium is the place where I release exclusive podcasts that are found nowhere else except Supercast. It is auxoro.supercast.com where you will get two bonus episodes of the Aux. You will also get the ability to submit topic suggestions and questions for the Aux and the Auxoro podcast. And you also get access to archive bonus episodes on Auxoro Premium. And I have the page in front of me right now. Right now, today, 
We have the Dark Knight episode. We have an episode on Ted Bundy. We have one on the obesity epidemic. We have the rise of Tim Dillon, the COVID lab leak hypothesis, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, and more. We also put solo episodes of up there as well. And again, for less than five bucks a month, when you sign up for the year, you get two bonus episodes of the Aux every month sent straight to you. The sign up is so quick. It's two taps. Augzoro Premium link in the podcast description, or you can just go straight to augzoro.supercast.com. Again, that's augzoro.supercast.com. And now back to the episode. You mentioned the feeling of the one lung, the, the communal one lung. So you feel like in a group of people, you have a higher capacity to hold your breath and experience those effects and even stay in the cold tub. And I'm sure it applies to the sauna too. We talked a little bit about that, kind of that group mentality, having people to talk to, bounce that energy off of. So you you actually felt that with breathing exercises too. 100%, 100%. And you know, I feel that if I'm breathing with three of my buddies, I typically go further oftentimes or have, um, you know, different experiences than if I'm breathing alone, you know, and then four people versus 30 people is a totally different thing as well. Um, (laughs) my friends are weird. Uh, I'm part of a weird eclectic friend group. Right. And, and we all care about our health. I'm, I'm very, I'm very, I'm I'm very offended by that because (laughs) I I am, I am your friend and (laughs) I, I'm obviously not weird. I, I not like wearing mascara for podcasts. You're looking I, great. I like wearing mascara for the podcast and, and I think that's completely normal. You're, you know? you're just playing the joker. Um, that's all. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do this. Yeah, at, good, to, good to have weird friends. hundred percent, man. And, and this is a, like, we'll do breath work at gatherings, at get togethers, you know, it's 11 PM at night. And it's like, you, you guys want to get fucked up on some breathing? <laughs> and it's like, all right, you know, and it's 12 people. All right. One long on three, you know, and then we, dive into DMT breathing, right? You know, and, and that's a totally different experience, right? And it's amazing what our breath can do. It gives us life and you can go three weeks without food and three days without water and three minutes without breathing. It's super important. And a lot of us neglect it or underutilize it. Two or last weekend was my birthday, birthday weekend leading up to my birthday on Tuesday, the 26th of October. And I went out hard with friends as usual on my birthday as one does and yes as one does and had it had a fucking amazing weekend uh my girlfriend planned this huge surprise i knew one friend was visiting for sure and then i had a bunch of other friends that came in to surprise me and it was a it was a fucking blast but one thing that i did that is unusual for me is that i planned in my recovery to this friend's weekend because normally I'll just do this solo on my own. I I I'll I rarely invite people to to meditate or uh you know take a cold shower together or go <sighs> if there's a sauna if there's a sauna around like go to the sauna. Like I really haven't done that since college and I made sure to plan in that me and Tyler, my my friend who I knew was visiting me. We're going to bathhouse on Sunday. Going to make a day out of it in Brooklyn. It has these uh, Turkish sauna, steam room, traditional sauna, three different temperature tubs, freezing as fuck, lukewarm and hot tub. And we just made a day out of it. Talking to people there, having conversations, staying in the sauna, 
at 185 degrees for 20 plus minutes. And I was having an easier time doing that with people there than I would staying by myself in a sauna for 15 minutes. 100%. And I'm also hung over. And it's like that group aspect of it was so powerful that we, my friend and I were in it together, hung over. And then probably, you know, 40 to 50% of the people there were also detoxifying their bodies in different ways. And it was a, it was amazing. I, I, I'm definitely going to do it again. Um, definitely going to start planning in recovery things more to weekend hangouts with friends. Because that's, that's something, again, I usually reserve for myself because I assume no one else would be interested unless I'm hanging out with one of my friends who's uh, much more into those things like yourself. But if, if I'm going to see someone, you know, down in... Philly or Richmond from baseball. I'm just like, oh, whatever. Like, we'll, we'll just hang out. We'll get fucked up. I'll do the recovery stuff by myself. But I had such a good time doing this that 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 community aspect. It, it was it was very powerful. It, it was fun. It was powerful. Uh, we were talking, sweating our asses off, being in a cold tub much longer than I would have been able to on my own, suffering with strangers and a couple friends, and it, it was a great time. Totally. And, you know, when I see this in group coaching settings a lot, like when one person is courageous, it gives other people permission to be courageous as well. And, and almost, you know, motivation to, right? Like, oh, wow, you know, Zach's been in the cold tub for four minutes, like, still in there, you know, like, wow, you know, and then like, maybe I could do that, you know, and, and it, or, you know, holy shit, uh, Eric is going in on the breathing like letting it fucking rip like all right cool somebody else is leading the way like if he's going that hard like uh let's go you know and and all of a sudden you feel the energy of the room just kind of pick up a little bit because someone was like taking the blinders off and going all right fuck it you know and just so no yeah the, the first time i got in the cold tub at bathhouse there was a guy already in there and immediately I told myself, I can't get out before this guy gets out. (laughs) (laughs) Complete stranger. Uh, looked, looked like he was in decent shape. He, he was breathing calmly. And as soon as I got in, I felt like that. So I knew I had to stay in there and kind of just calmly breathe at this guy and act like, you know, nothing was wrong. And I'm just going to talk to him until he gives up. And I had my shoulders above the water and we were kind of talking to each other a little bit limited back and forth. And then as we're talking, he dips his, uh, up to his neck, like up to his chin. He's just like waiting there, uh, waiting in the water. And I'm like, all right, like he wants to up the ante. Like I'll put, I'll put my shoulders on there. I'll, t- I'll talk to this dude. I'll just be a floating head in a cold tub. Yep. Um, and, th- and then he dunked his head and got out and, and he might've been in there for like five plus minutes. I I stayed in for probably three, four max that time. And so that competitiveness with this stranger who I knew nothing about made me want to stay in the cold tub longer. And then the next time I was in the cold tub, there's a lady who came over that said that she'd see me in there a few times and then wanted to just put her legs in to see how it felt. And she ended up doing that for a couple minutes. And so it was kind of this cool 
effect from both sides where I didn't want to be a bitch because this guy was putting his fucking head under. And then this lady came over. He's like, oh, I'll try the cold tub. Like, it seems seems like it could be good for me. Seems doable. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, I, the best growth, in my opinion, occurs when you're, you've got someone or something to kind of reach for and then someone or something to, you know, that you can either lend a hand down to or someone can grab onto or you're trying to like stay ahead of from a competitive standpoint you know mm-hmm. you're a little bit stronger than so-and-so but not quite as strong as so-and-so and it's like you guys are all working together like that that's a good place to be so let's get into this 100 mile trek this 100 mile trekkie wecky that is the the title that i have up here on riverside fm for this for this chat the, the 100 mile Trekkie wecky. It's it sounds like a, a bedtime story. It, you know, it should be the Trekkie Recky because that's it was <laughs> Trekkie Recky. The Trekkie Recky because it was it was one of those. It was one of those. So for first, let let's let's just get this out of the way. Yep. So there's a rumor. A rumor. That you did not go up to the Appalachian Trail to just do a hike. There's a rumor that Dave Robinson is actually a CIA operative that went on a mission to recover Brian Landry, the murderer of Gabby Petito, on the Appalachian Trail where he was last allegedly spotted. Can you confirm or deny that you are a CIA op that went to the Appalachian Trail to recover the most wanted man in America and then do a 100-mile trek to have an alibi? Total cover And up. no one would ask any questions. For legal purposes, I'm going to have to say no comment on the actual question. Uh, I did, funny enough, I played in the soccer or a soccer game for my adult league a couple of days after I got back. And uh, they're like, oh, where were you the last two weeks or two games or whatever? And you know, I was like, oh, I was up in this thing, you know, did this trip. And first thing somebody said was, oh, did you see Brian Lowry up there? <laughs> and, like, and that was yeah. literally the first thing. I was like, nope. Uh, you know, fall was really pretty, but <laughs> didn't, see, didn't see much of anybody. So, um, but yeah, interesting. Not a CIA operative. I can come out on record and say that. Yeah. All right. Not a CIA operative, but can confirm or deny that you were on a mission to recover Brian Landry. So I, I won't probe you on that anymore because I don't want to give you up in any way. Thank you. Random. This this is a, a video I saw this morning, actually, on Brian Landry. There's this theory that his teeth and bones that were recovered, just the teeth that have been positively identified belong to Brian Landry. And then the bones are someone else's. And so his parents notified the cops and said, you know, this is where Brian is. Somehow his parents knew where he was. And then the cops recovered the bones. I think it's still being processed and things like that. But there's a theory that it wasn't actually Brian Landry's bones. It was just his teeth and that he's staying under a garden plot in his parents' backyard because there was a drone video of his mom bending down to her garden plot and something kind of reaching out from the guarding plot to grab whatever her mom was, uh, his mom was handing down. So super sketchy, like typical um, blurry footage, like abominable snowman type footage from a drone. Top quality conspiracy theory stuff. Top quality conspiracy theory. Um, I do like to wind down down at night with some good conspiracy theories. So, you know, this this is good. A hundred... 100% 100% had to click on it. And it's some random TikTok video that this girl zoomed in on and was like, there's, I think there's a hand there. So 
Um, yeah, totally random. So um, if anyone out there is uh, on the hunt for Brian Landry, uh, may or may not work for the CIA, I'm just letting you know that he could be under the garden plot in his parents' house. You, you just credit Augsoro podcast when you uh, close the case. Just like give us a little tag, tag in the notes. 10% of the reward. Heard it here first. 100%. So, oh, you want 100% of the reward. Okay. 100%, I want 10%. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Depends how much it is. Yeah, exactly. So the 100 mile trek, what drew you to wanting to plan out this trek and go on it in the first place? What, what made you want to go on 100 miles in the Appalachian Trail? What was kind of your motivation behind doing this thing and just fucking going for it? Yeah. So um, I've done a lot of camping in the past, a lot of car camping, used to camp down at the beach a lot, um, camped a, a fair amount out in Colorado and Utah and Arizona and New Mexico, Nevada, et cetera. And love it, love nature, love the outdoors, always something I was drawn to. Uh, also love hiking. You know, I'm a big hike fan. I like to go on, on you know, long eight, nine, 10, 12, 13 mile hikes and, you know, bring my water and some snacks and my hammock and then come back and go into the car and then drive home. Never combine the two. So, uh, totally different ball game, totally different ball game. So back in April, my, uh, partner Ruslana had an idea of why don't we hike this trail? Right. And she had heard it from a friend, you know, someone had said, Oh, this is like a, a bucket list trail for, for, you know, this friend. And she was like, Oh, cool. I'm going to go look it up. And it turns out it's a, um, one, a bucket list trail for a lot of people. It's a, a segment of the Appalachian trail in Northern Maine. Um, depending on whether you start, you know, whether you start North to South or go South to North, it's either at the very end of your trip or the very beginning of your trip. And it is called the Hundred Mile Wilderness Trail. Uh, so she brought the idea in April. Um, I ran the obstacle course racing world championships up in Vermont and Stratton Stratton Mountain like the week prior. So we knew we were going to be up largely that way anyway. You know, uh, ten hours north of where I am now. And so she took off work for three weeks. We set the time aside. Uh, and started planning, buying uh, equipment, you know, testing, researching, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it, it, the motivation behind it was to go out in nature, deconnect, and have an adventure, you know, have an adventure, um, which we did. So how does one begin to pack for an adventure like that? Because... I've, we've talked about the car camping experience when I went out and went out to California, Arizona, we actually shared a campsite out in Zion, got there a couple weeks after you and it was the, the most beautiful spot I've ever camped at, did that so out rad. of the car. How do you even begin to pack for a 10 day trek where you have, you have your backpack, you have uh, your partner's with you, they have a backpack and you just, you, you leave the car. I'm, I'm assuming you just, you park somewhere, you leave and that's it. Whatever you have on you, you have on you. Yeah. hundred percent. So the, um, couple things to consider is 
in this, in most of the Appalachian Trail, the farthest someone has to go without a, a resupply place like a, a gas station or a town or you know some place to buy food and, and wares, right? Um, maybe two or three days, right? Most of the Appalachian Trail is not very or not as remote or too remote to not be able to mm -hmm. have a road that connects in or get a drop off or leave a box or hit a hostel or something like that, right? This is the the longest, most unsupported section of the Appalachian Trail, that 100-mile wilderness section. And so, you know, it it was, we had been told to plan for 10 days, right? And so over that time frame, things get pretty complicated because that's a lot of food to have to bring and food adds up. So the, the rule of thumb is 1.5 to 2 pounds of food per day per person that you expect. So if we're planning for 10 days, we got like 15 to 20 pounds worth of food. Um, per person, right? Per person, yeah. Per, yeah. So, which is going to be carried on our backs. Um, one of my, my good buddies uh, is a former army ranger right maybe still army ranger i don't know whether that's like the marines like once marine always a marine but um was in for a, a long time he's in his late 40s mm -hmm. now and and is is a savage man just like total uh preparedness right like i told him i told him he was or that i was going to do this trip and he said oh man you're going to be in in the main mountains in october i'm going to send you some rope just in case there's a whiteout on the mountain, so you can tie that, tie it around your waist. Call me, and we'll, you know, I'll show you how to do it, right? And he's sending me all this, like, buy this for your kid and do that for this, right? So, so I had some help, right? But he told me the following phrase, uh, which I didn't listen to completely, though I, I adopted a lot of it: ounces equal pounds, and pounds equal pain. And it is super accurate. Ounces equal pounds, and pounds equal pain. Um. Ounces equal pounds and pounds equal pain. Correct. So meaning the heavier your pack, the harder it's going to be. Um, so to prepare for this, like we had to buy a pack. We had to buy a pack big enough for 10, 10 days worth of shit. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was, I had a 55 liter bag and Ruslana had a 70 liter bag. And we spent a lot of time researching what bag to get, or at least I did, uh, for, for us. Um, this section is known for being pretty wet and rainy. And so we really needed to take a couple things into consideration. Uh, we had to take into consideration cold uh, from being wet and cold from it just being cold. So we had to really pack for four seasons, right? Or really, you know, a spring weather, fall weather, and, and winter weather, you know? Um, the, so the pack had to be big enough. Right, the pack had to be big enough, mm -hmm. and so we ended up settling on a hyperlight mountain wear pack, which is a waterproof pack, pretty pricey. But it's going to be the backpack I have for the next, hopefully, thirty fucking years. <laughs> right, and it, dude, no doubt, all of this shit was um, in the best possible way. But it, we made a gear list, man. We made a gear list of the stuff we had to have and stuff that wouldn't have be like nice to have and just started buying it started like looking it up started researching it you know um 
Like I, I had already had a, a sleeping bag, but I had done that research in a sleeping bag the year prior for the trip that you and I, you know, had shared a campsite on. And so I had a good 20 degree bag. And so I knew Ruslana, Hey, buy this bag. It's a Nemo Forte. It's great. You know? And so here you go. And so cool check, but the gear list is pretty long and substantial and all those things added up, you know? And so we were always thinking about weather. We were thinking about coal. We were thinking about weight, you know? Um, like, is this tent four pounds or is it, you know, two and three quarters, right? That's a huge difference over time. And so that, that was a, that was the place we started. It's like necessity. What do we need? What do we need for survival? What would be great to have? And how can we cut weight? How can we buy this thing or get this thing at the lowest weight with the highest effectiveness? Yeah, it's such a direct opposition to how people are used to thinking most of the time where if you go on a trip, and, and I do this too. I tend to overpack completely rather than leave something and think, okay, if I don't have this pair of jeans or this shirt, the world's not going to end. But I'm, I'm always trying to... It, it, I'll, I'll basically pack for the size of my suitcase and not for the size of the trip. So if I have a suitcase with extra room, I'll just keep filling it and filling it and filling it. And I think this is fine because I'm going to take this on a plane I'm going to put this in my car and then I get to the actual place and I use 30% of what I was wearing uh, or of what I packed for that week. And for some reason, I think whenever I go to a place, uh, whether it's California, uh, Columbia, New York, even just visiting my parents, I always think I'm going to wear something completely different every single day. Right. Even though I wear the same shorts and pants for a week straight in Brooklyn, I'm just like, these are not dirty. So I'm just going <laughs> to, you know, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not seeing the same people again today. So I'm just going to wear these, these pants again. And for some reason I think, okay, I need to have the perfect outfit for morning, afternoon and night every time I go to travel. And I've never, I, I I've done kind of a, uh, a very dumbed down basic version of the the 10 day hike which is just packing for a day or uh, maybe like 36 hours at a time but I've never done the 10 day hike so I so I imagine it's I I imagine you think differently now about how you pack things and how important things really are on a survival versus want basis where if, where if you're packing something, yeah. I, I think everything is survival when I'm packing for a trip to Vegas. I'm just like, I cannot survive without this button down shirt from Kasubi. This, uh, I'm going to drop dead if I don't wear this on Saturday night. And, and you go on a 10 day trip and I'm sure everything gets reframed where you can kind of let go. Or if you don't let go immediately, you kind of learn to let go and accept that this is all I actually need you learn a lot about what you actually put your hands on on a given day, right? And, and and the longer people are on this trail, you know, not only does everything in your bag have to be used daily in order for it to basically make it in your bag and stay in your bag, you need to have multiple uses for things in an ideal scenario. You know, um, you know, there are tents that are made from someone's trekking poles, you know, as opposed to bringing the, the frame of the, of the tent, which weighs, you know, weighs a pound, right? You use your, your yeah. trekking pole, you know, and that, that 
holds up to 10 and then, you know, et cetera. And so there's a lot of ways people do or, or cut weight. Um, the point you made about it really highlighting what's important is huge. That's the whole reason why, or the whole biggest thing I got out of this trip was um, water, food, where are we putting the campsite? How long do we have to walk? What's the weather? Like really boils it down mm. to simplistic, simplistic stuff. Um, you know, when are we eating? What are we eating? Let's set up our tent. Like that's that was the day over and over and over and over and over and over and over yeah. again. Um, and it highlights what's important for real. Can you take me through what a day was like during this hike? I'm sure all of them were different in many ways, but if you could give a general picture of what your routine was in the morning, how would you wake up? What was the mileage that you do eat do each day, settle down, eat, things like that? What was your routine like? Totally. So the trip was broken up into really two segments. You got like the first 50 miles and the second 50 miles, right? Um, we started in Monson, Maine, maybe around noon or one, planned to do a couple miles that day, first day, camp, and, you know, start for real the next day, right? Quickly found out over that first four miles where we averaged one mile an hour that this was not going to be an order. This was not going to oh, be an ordinary yeah. hike. Yeah, this Moving. was not going to be an ordinary hike. Uh, it, it was gorgeous, right? This is Maine, northern Maine, middle of Maine, peak fall. Walking past streams, through streams, past rivers or, or lakes, like dozens and dozens of them. I'm not going to say 100, but dozens and dozens and dozens of lakes and rivers and streams and shit throughout this whole whole journey. It was gorgeous. And the terrain was rooty rocky slippery boggy like you're following we're following blazes white blazes on trees not really a trail like in many places um at least through the first first half of that trip so we were pretty leisurely in the morning on the first couple of days right because we we're like okay we got 10 days we're gonna we're gonna get up slower uh but regardless every morning when you wake up you gotta pack your tent you got to pack, pack your, your, your camp. So, um, we'd wake up, we'd kind of get out of the sleeping bag, um, you know, be a little bit slow, start to like put stuff in bags within the tent. And, you know, we could sit up in the tent, uh, let the, the air out of the air pads, start stuffing them into the sacks and whatnot. Um, I got out and started cooking if we were going to actually eat oatmeal, which we did uh, maybe half the days. Mm -hmm. Some days we decided, hey, we're going to get it, just get up and go tomorrow and like eat on the go or whatever, uh, or eat when we stop. So um, we break down the tent and then everything's got to go into the bag, right? And the pack needs to be packed a very specific way. You can't just shove shit in there uh, in order for it to... Yeah, it's, it's, it's like Jenga, Jenga, but it's Jenga like on a mission. It's not like a random Jenga, like oh, let's just like Tetris this shit in. It's like you gotta, you gotta like there's certain levels like you really have to layer it in order for it to fit comfortably and snug yeah. and be carryable. Yeah, like if you if you need something in a couple hours, you're not gonna stuff it at the bottom of the bag. So you have to take everything out. You have you have to do it methodically. Got to do it methodically, and then 
there's got to be a ratio of uh, like you really need some soft padding in the bottom. You need most of the weight kind of mid back up against you, right? You don't want to have weight above your head because then you're going to you know fall over. You don't want to weight all the weight in the very bottom of your bag because then you've you know then you're going to kind of be leaning back. So you've got to really build your bag. So everything after a couple of days had a place. We had a system with it. We got into a groove, um, you know, and, and it's a lot easier to do with a partner who, who is game and will, you know, hustle to get shit done. And, 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 you know, Rue was awesome. Yeah. So, um, we'd break camp and we'd start walking. Right. And, uh, we would walk and walk and walk and walk and walk and walk until we got hungry. And then we'd stop and eat. Um, we refill water along the way, and we used a this thing called a Grail water filter. And I've actually got a spare filter here. Yeah, super cool. Mm. So it's like a two part um, two part bottle, and you fill the outer container with water from a stream uh, or a lake or whatever, and then ideally a stream or a spring, and then you use air pressure or like like uh, physical pressure to force water through the filter and then into the clean water container. And then you can drink that. And so to fill my one and a half liter pa- um, camel pack and the water bottle probably took 10 minutes because we're trying to drink as much water as we can while we're doing it. Uh, yeah. But then that adds five pounds. <laughs> and so we got to the point halfway through the yeah. trip where we're starting to be strategic, look at the map. Where's the next spring? Do we need to fill up all the way? You know, like what, how much water can we bring? Um, can we leave a bottle empty? Do we need to fill up more because we've got, you know, a long time before another spring, you know? Um, so there were, there were kind of little mental games to be played, but largely we're walking, looking straight ahead, taking the pack off cause it's heavy, putting it back on, um, stopping for, you know, restroom breaks, stopping to, for snack breaks, stopping to take a, a shirt off or a jacket off, put it back on cause it's cold et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot of stop, go yeah. uh, hiking, especially given the terrain and the altitude and the weather and et cetera. Um, once we found a spot though, it's was again, very similar. It's you, then you make camp and cook your food and get settled in. And dude, I tell you what, once, once the head hit the pillow at night, man, that was out at like seven thirty or eight yeah, <laughs> PM. I, I, I bet the sleep is fucking incredible it's profound you'd probably have a better sleep in the sleeping bag after day of hiking than a a king size bed twenty thousand dollar bed after day of work i I remember um some of the hikes i did earlier this spring nothing close to 100 miles but just some of the day hikes that i did out in california or i met a friend out in denver and just having this really deep tiredness in my bones not just like being tired from mentally exhausting myself or being tired from a workout. But like, I feel my body falling asleep while I'm still awake in a way that usually takes me time to wind down in my bed. So it was like, instead of me hitting the bed kind of tired and then gradually falling asleep, there were a few times where I would be falling asleep, almost standing up or packing up stuff. And then as I was getting ready for bed, that was like my process of falling asleep. And then maybe I was awake for a minute and then yeah. I just fucking like lights wow. out. So I'm sure you guys slept, um, slept really well. Really, really hard. Um, it was cold, but 
you know, for the most part, you're right. There's a, a physical exhaustion that just crept up and, and the sleeps kept getting better. They kept getting shorter, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I, I left my phone in the car for the entirety of the trip. So I didn't have any technology. We only had service three times this whole trip. Uh, Rue brought her phone with her, and but kept it off, kept it on airplane mode, you know, or off. And so uh, we had no technology other than you know headlamps and shit <laughs> you know so um headlamps and jet boil which is an awesome piece of technology let me tell you what but yeah. um the so no no phone for 10 days no it was fucking awesome dude it was awesome and think about this man like i got a phone at i don't know like 15 maybe maybe i was younger maybe i was older i don't remember maybe call it 15 i'm 33 so 18 mm-hmm. years i've had a phone and i reckon there's maybe been 24, 48 hours where, you know, or, or a period of time for 24, 48 hours where I didn't have it. And because I probably fucking broke it or because I was on a little like two or three day camping trip somewhere, you know, and, and, uh, didn't have service, right. Uh, 10 days, nine or 10 days without a phone was, was a reset and it was awesome. So I do want to come back to that at some point. So I was just listening to, uh, Tim Ferriss as a guest which is the first time for me. I haven't listened to a full podcast with Tim Ferriss as a guest. And this was on Skeptic Tank by Ari Shafir, Mm. who is a great stand-up comic. Love his style. He goes hard as fuck. And this is the first time that I heard Tim Ferriss in his non-picking-apart mode of top CEOs, top performers in their fields, and just kind of casually being walked through a conversation with a stand-up comedian. Um, health and revelry plug right there. If you're if you're if you're watching this, uh, if you're watching this right now on uh, YouTube, use code Augzoro for fifteen percent off at healthandrevelry.com, and I will put the link in the description. Good to go, baby. Um, but back to Tim Ferriss on Ari Shafir's podcast. He was going into all these experiences that he had when he was down in uh, South America for a year and a half. And this was on the heels of going through a breakup and, and being in a crossroads with his job and not really sure what to do. So he went down to South America for a year and a half. And he mentioned getting away from his phone for... I think it was 10 days or something like seven to 10 days. It it wasn't a retreat. It wasn't a silent retreat set up. It didn't sound like it was something that he signed up for. It sounded like he went to this place and just booked somewhere, stayed by himself in the jungle for seven to 10 days and didn't have his phone. And he described a similar thing where it was a complete reset. And he had been considering darkness retreats. Um, I believe he's also done meditation retreats, but he, it sounded like this one was his favorite one. And if it wasn't his favorite, it sounded very meaningful where he just kind of went, went off the grid like you did, didn't have his phone, wasn't doing an activity, and then realized that I could do this when I go back home. I don't need to go to South America to get off my phone for 10 days. I can book an Airbnb in Montana or something and just put my phone off in a a, a shelf or a desk drawer um, for 10 days. And that's something that is on my list to do. I will do a 
complete disconnect from technology for at least a week um, at some point next year. And so like, how, how did it feel the first day or two? Because that's when I imagine the, the ghost kind of hooks of your phone or may still be there a little bit where you feel it vibrate and you go for it or you just like out of habit, you're just like, Oh, why, like, why did I just reach in my pocket? I wasn't taking anything out. How, how long did it take for your phone to detach from you, uh, mentally after you physically left it behind about that time frame about that 48 hour time frame you know i I had those ghost grabs i had the fuck where did i put my phone moments like i'm walking and i'm like right pocket left pocket back pocket back pocket chest chest shit like numerous times and then like oh it's in the car dumbass 28 miles back way backwards (laughs) you know like (laughs) so it did take me a little bit of time but um I didn't miss it at all, man. And and it really highlighted the, the leakage of time that I was experiencing even, you know, even while trying to be intentional and even while being healthy and, and active and all those things. Like I was still spending a lot of time on the phone and, um, you know, I, part of it I justified and part of it I know is totally unjustifiable. And it was a, a great highlight of that. Um, great highlight of that to even like open it again it's taken me three weeks to post on instagram three or four weeks it's it's like you know uh i've been i've been being very lax and lenient with responding to people's text messages i've deleted facebook um you know i'm really focusing on on not doing the the different websites you know oh type this in and go to that scroll there and type this and just headline porn you know like I'm, i'm doing my best to avoid that. So it's really, it it is changing my relationship to the telephone, to the cell phone, to technology itself. Uh, I've also been really lax in responding to emails. So apologies to everyone. And, you know, I'll hit you up. (laughs) The email, the email is a good move though. I've gone from responding to emails multiple times a day to once a day to once a week. I, I go sometimes two, three weeks now where I'll just stack up, uh, you know, 300, 500 emails. And then I'll just block out an hour and a half to just go through all of them because I'd rather an hour and a half of my time be taken up once or two, three times a month max where I'm just going through email than to have it leak over and disrupt me a couple times a day or a few 100%. times a week where I, f- where I feel like I'm getting shit done and I'm not actually getting shit done. And yeah, it, it's every time I take a break from my phone and I think the longest I've done is three, maybe four days, like an extended weekend without looking at it. It sucks going back. I, I don't yeah. want to go back to exactly. checking the social media. And then I realized how much during my social media use when I'm, when I'm using my phone, how much I justify it because of the job that I do, which is podcasting. And then I go back and I haven't posted in four days. The, my streaming numbers are still around the same. The YouTube views are still around the same, which are the most important thing for podcast downloads and, and views. That's ultimately why I'm posting to bring people back to those. And I see other people posting, you know, a reel a day or two reels a day, which is great if you're able to do that. And then I, 
kind of makes me take a step back and think, what is my motivation for posting? Am I doing it to keep up with this podcaster because I admire their work and they are posting this much per day? Or am I doing it because it's truly helping draw people into the podcast? And is is there some in between? Can I throw up one reel a week? Can I throw up two reels a week? Can I outsource it to someone and just send them 30 reels and say, post one of these every four days and that's 120 days worth of content. And so I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm jealous of the, the, the breakaway from the social media for, for 10 days. And it sounds like it had a, a, a re-shifting effect somewhat because you said you deleted Facebook, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it, definitely, it definitely did. And it doesn't come without consequence because I haven't set up the, um, the social media manager to just run that shit while I'm not here or outsourcing, you know, et cetera, et cetera, which Tim Ferriss would tell us to do in four-hour work week, by the way. Uh, but I just don't care. <laughs> like, I, like, that's really yeah. where I'm at. Like, I, I just, I love what I was doing so much. And the way that my mind works and the way that I found that I operate well is I ebb and flow into things, you know, and, and I ride things out for a period of time. And then when it's done, I'll shift and I can do a pretty hard stop and hard shift and go into something else. And so, uh, I was very happily off social media for three or four weeks. Uh, I bombarded social media this morning and got back on and, you know, we had a nice little post and it's, it's, you know, I'll, I'll probably be back on, um, but I'm going to be more intentional with it, you know, and as opposed to me doing the scrolling and the random posting, I want to be very intentional with my message and with, you know, the time that I do spend on it. Uh, Because the alternative is to spend time outside, you know, or spend time with people I love or learning or doing other things. One more point on the phone, though, is the phones and the technology within them were built and designed to keep and grab our attention right? And that's what mm-hmm. everything is made off of. So a trick that I've had is I've turned off every single one of my notifications. I don't get notifications for text messages. I don't get them for emails. I don't get them for Instagram. I don't get if an app needs to be upgraded. If my phone needs to be upgraded, I don't get shit, right? I get phone call notifications. Someone calls, I, I can see that, mm-hmm. right? So that's awesome. The other thing I've done is I've grayscaled my phone. And I do this a lot because... uh and you can do that really simply with like triple clicking the home screen if you still have that. I've got an iPhone 8. I don't know mm-hmm. what everybody else has. But if you have an iPhone, you can grayscale your phone, which means, you know, Instagram is a lot less fun without the most vivid colors possible uh, bombarding your your eyes at all times. So I noticed that my natural world experience is brighter and more vibrant when I've had my phone on grayscale that day than if I haven't. This podcast was meant to be today because I was listening to the tail end of the Tim Ferriss, Ari Shafir podcast this morning. He mentioned putting his phone on grayscale. And I did that two hours before this podcast, put my phone on grayscale. Now it's in black and white. And we are here together staring into each other's eyes and color as our phones are in black and white, not distracting us. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Who the fuck it, man? This is beautiful. Have you ever seen the Black Mirror episode with the ratings on social media where you basically see people's ratings through the 
your eyesight. I don't know if it's built into your eyesight, but you'll look at someone walking down the street and you think 4.5 or you see 4.5 oh, out of 5. That's God. their that's their rating. Rating have, for have what? Have you ever like, seen that episode? No, I haven't. Just your overall social, it's like your your social score. To 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 me it's like a social score slash saying the right thing slash wokeness slash kind of fitting the algorithm and and the algorithm in this episode is very you need to say what we think is the right thing and do what we think is the right thing. You can't be aggressive. You can't raise your voice. You can't become uh, visually angry. If you do that, your score goes down. And if you get below a three, I think it's a 3.8 in the episode, you can't go to certain places. If you get below a two, you can go to even less places. So you can't even cross the threshold into certain aspects of society if you get a lower rating and every interaction you have with someone, you get ranked based on that interaction. So after this podcast, you would slide me a four or five star, whatever you think. And then I would slide you from my phone, four or five star, five stars with that beard for sure. And that is how you walk through the world. And there's this interesting part of that episode where the main character who is so sucked into the social media world, she meets a woman who is a trucker. Her husband passed away from cancer. She's a 1.8. And the the woman who used to be sucked into social media sees the 1.8 woman as uh, in the truck and she gets a ride from this 1.8 who's considered like an outcast in society. And... The 1.8 woman is so much happier. She basically chose to opt out of the game and opt out from society and only associate with other people who are going to say what they want and do what they want. And the main takeaway I got from that episode is that there's no end to leveling up in social media. If you level up in social media and that becomes your main focus rather than doing good work and doing cool shit and then posting about it as a byproduct on social media. If you make leveling up your main focus, there's always someone who's going to be higher than you. There's always people who are going to be below you looking to tear you down and giving lower ratings to try to take your place because it's the scarcity mindset so often on Twitter and Instagram. It's that all of us can't be doing well. You know, I need to take other people down a peg. And there's no there there's nothing like the sense of peace that comes from opting out of the bullshit that other people say about you and just living your life and surrounding yourself with good people and not giving a fuck about any sort of ranking system dude take that a step further and opt out of society so we did for 10 days we just opted out of society yeah like guess what bro coronavirus didn't exist Right, we lived outside for ten days. Like we, like, and no one had a mask. With the thirty people we saw, no one's wearing a mask on the Appalachian Trail. Like you, like you're, you know, like no one's asking for masks. No one's asking for a vaccine card. Mm-hmm. Like no one, like, like, not having any. Uh, you know, I'm not worrying about money. I didn't swipe my card one time. Didn't spend a dollar. You know, like I, I of course, spent money on the front end of that, and I had automatic bills being sent out. Otherwise, you know, but. Um, it simplified things tremendously, tremendously. Mm. And you said something about 
that's a crazy episode because it sounds very much in line with uh, things we're experiencing now with you know the mm-hmm. the this world that we're in this post covid world or pre middle covid world or whatever the fuck this is right like uh i've found myself and i think this has always been my natural trait or i've leaned this way naturally i think but i found myself more and more focusing on having conversations with the people that are outside of the box and outside of the structure of, you know, corporate nine to five. And, uh, you know, this is how you're supposed to think and this is how you're supposed to show up on social media. And this is how you're supposed to, you know, all those things. And, you know, and it's not like the, you know, it's not a fuck you. It's a, this is where I'm aligning. This is where I feel real and this is what feels good and is good and let's follow this path as opposed to feeling stuck in the hamster wheel you know um last social media is certainly down that path and uh we both have businesses that are somewhat if not largely dependent on that and a lot of the rest of this year is going to be you know and next year and i think the evolution of of my practice at least is going to be figuring uh out ways to either automate that or outsource that or not fucking have social and like hey like now the email list is popping or like seo is great or i've got a business yeah. you know relationship or a referral you know uh, marketing relationship that is more than sustaining me and brings all the abundance in the world and so um i would get off instagram today if you know i didn't have the the or if i did have those other systems put in place at this time put you that way yeah it's about identifying that funnel and only using the things that are necessary to use that to to get people into that funnel and i would say you, you already mentioned it i would say for creating content whether it's podcasting or um you know making mascara videos on YouTube or doing stand-up comedy, like whatever it is, you want the emails, you want the feed and everything else, you know, that, that's just leading to the email list and the feed from which you post. So for podcast RSS feed, uh, your, your YouTube feed, your blog, have the one thing that you're focusing on and use Instagram, Twitter, like that, yeah, to drive to that to thing. Drive to and, that and thing. Yeah. I I'm I consider myself lucky that the content that I put out is not the oh let me rephrase that the the content that I want people to see the most is not Instagram and Twitter like I'm I'm not a meme page I'm not making um content like short videos where that is my bread and butter and I'm advertising off of that so I have the freedom to say like you know I can I can throw up a post uh just directing people towards the podcast and make it simple and have a photo or one day I could do a super involved kind of joke trailer for a podcast. But the only thing that deserves all of my energy is the podcast. And then the energy into social media is just what I have left after giving a hundred percent two hours today to Dave Robinson. Then the post that I make about this is the extra that I have, but I'm not going to take away from the bread and butter, which for me is the the podcast. And 
you know, you've, you've seen people who have grown their audience after getting canceled because they focus on things like the email list, like, like Louis CK. I'm still subscribed to his email list. He put out his special for seven bucks. It is popping off. It's still popping off. He sells out theaters all over the country, um, all over the world. And he's an outcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, which are the things that I have previously, I've previously thought count the most and other people think counts the most, but emails and feeds is where it's at. You know, dude, it's hundred percent. And it's also like, we don't just spend, or at least I don't just spend my time on Instagram. I'll look at the news or I'll look at sports stuff or, you know, I'm fucking looking at email. Right. But it's, it's a reminder. Like that's a good reminder right there to just look around instead and see like with your eyes in the world, what's actually happening. Um, as opposed to what your phone is telling you is happening. Big fucking difference. Big fucking difference when it comes to uh, something like race relations, when it comes to something like coronavirus, when it comes to something like, you know, the doom and gloom of our current society and how much America fucking sucks and et cetera, et cetera. It's like, well, you know, like there are a lot of things we could do better, et cetera. I reckon your average interaction at the grocery store in the average town in the USA is going to be pretty, pretty decent, you know, pretty civil. Uh, not going to be a whole lot of racial slurs thrown around. Probably not going to be a whole lot of, you know, fighting and and you know, mask ripping off and everything else. Like you'll get some of that. It's a big fucking country, right? Three hundred fifty plus million people, you know. But uh, largely, things are pretty good, all things considered. Oh when yeah. We, are not looking at screens. Yeah. And, and it's a weird time too, because the more things are politicized, the more that mainstream media people and people like politicians have to censor what they're saying in order to fit in the Overton window of what they're talking about or else they're going to be canceled. Because and the so words it's a, it's, are being politicized. Because the words are being politicized. And now is a time where you will have a 10 times more interesting conversation about politics with a, a, the average person you run into on the street than if I called, you know, the senator of Kentucky right now or senator of New Hampshire or whatever. I know there's going to be a lot of things that that person is not going to tell me how they're really feeling, how, what they're really trying to do. Sure, there's a select few people in politics that are kind of outside that. But at the end of the day, you have to play the game. And if you're on a mainstream network, you have to play the game too. And, I, and I've kind of realized that with podcasting and people have reached out to me the past year and a half and have looked at my earlier guest list and have seen big names. And they will ask me things like, you know, are you ever going to get back to interviewing big music artists? Are you ever going to get back to interviewing, you know, the, the names of this caliber in terms of Instagram followers, Twitter followers, things like that? And my answer is to these people um, who ask is I enjoyed all of those conversations and I would 100% do them again because I've never regretted a podcast. But since I've started expanding the scope of who I'm talking to in my podcast, I have realized that the quality of the conversations are much better with quote unquote normal people who don't 
have some sort of network or societal expectation of, you know, how to act. Like some guy, um, you know, like Chris Cooper is a great example. He's uh, an amazing writer and he's your great friend. And he became a friend of mine. We made a connection through that. And he's a guy that says whatever the fuck he wants. And if he was in some other job where he had to keep his mouth shut. Yes, I'd be able to talk about his writing, but I wouldn't, we wouldn't have been able to get into all the things that we do without a filter. So it's, it's a, it's unique time where the, where the most interesting conversation is not coming from the top. It's coming from like the lower to middle ends of the, you know, quote unquote, uh, like the ones and twos, if they were in that Black Mirror episode, like I'd much rather talk to a one, two or three what's going on than a four or five. You're going to get a grittier, maybe more real, relatable conversation, potentially, you know, um, because Instagram and social media is, is it's the flashy stuff. It's the, it's the best picture of the stuff. Yeah, I put my best ice photo picture up there. I didn't put my worst ice photo picture up there. I decided I was going to do the ice photo one. I picked the best one. I put that one up. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, even being aware of it, it's still part of, of, of the charade. And I, I think that's what was so rad about this whole hike is it wasn't a charade. There's no part of it. There was a charade. Like there was no part of it. that was fake. There's no part of it. that was like, we could have like, you know, opted out of or turned off or anything like that. Like it was, it was the opposite of a screen and living on a screen or experiencing something on a screen. Um, everything was visceral. Everything was, was all the senses were engaged. Right. Um, I, one of my favorite senses in the world, like, like if, or, uh, is smell. I love smell, right. I love the, you know, that just, I connected to so many memories. I connected to places, right. Food or, or whatever it is. Alpine air, like clean air with pine needles that has a little bit of, 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 uh, like, or probably a, a lot of bit of dryness to it actually. Um, it's got a scent to it. It's got like a, like a, like a, it's just the cleanest air you can possibly smell, <laughs> right? Like that yeah. type of, of thing. And, you know, there were periods where we would walk and we would hear nothing. We'd stop and be like, the most profound silence. And, you know, walk through something and, oh, hear birds popping off and hear the colors and, you know, being peak fall, right? The whole, the whole world would change based on the type of tree you're walking under really, or the, like the patch of trees. So we're under a big patch of maples and you've got that bright red of a maple tree, right? And then, you know, mm -hmm. all of them are maples. So my world is tinted red, right? And then I walk into, um, you know, a cedar patch and it's totally different or a pine thing. And now everything kind of like doles out and it's just gray and, and brown and green, you know? And I, I don't know, it, it was, when we get back to living, man, it's just it's so much better. It's so much better. Yeah. I heard something the other day about veterans reacclimating to society and, and some of the problems or it's some of the things that you don't experience when you're in the battlefield or when you're training, when you're shipped off into places like Afghanistan that can have an effect on you when you come back. And one of the things apparently is bird noises. Like bird song does something to you 
when you walk around and you hear birdsong outside. And when you don't hear birdsong for a long time, you go, you know, you're, you can be deployed in Afghanistan for three months, six months, a year, um, anywhere without birds singing around you. Apparently it has some sort of effect on your brain and the way that you feel. And I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised because it's something that sinks, in, sinks into the background. Even if I'm inside and my window's open, if there's just birds chirping in the morning or I'm walking outside and it, it's something that you don't really think about unless you're doing a meditation walk or you're, the birds happen to catch your ear that day. But it, it's, an, it's an interesting kind of look into something so simple from nature that is usually an afterthought that has a noticeable effect on the way that we walk through life and, and treat other people. And it's, uh, I'm sure there's many, many, many birdsong on the uh, Appalachian Trail. There were, and we didn't see nearly as much wildlife as I thought we would see. Um, I saw one deer the first day, and then we didn't see any deer. We didn't see any bear. Thank goodness. We didn't see any moose. Thank goodness. Uh, saw a couple grouse, which is like a, like a mountain chicken, basically. Uh, saw some squirrels, some chipmunks, some other birds. And that was it. Um, didn't see a single fish. I brought a, a fishing rod. Didn't see shit. Mm. Didn't catch shit. Didn't, I didn't even see a minnow. Nothing. Even though the fishing is exceptional there at various times of the year. Um, but the, you know, sensing your environment is something that we don't often do because we're often in a very stale, sterile environment. You know, uh, this is a 70, 70 degree room, right? The air is so-so, the temperature is what it is, right? Uh, my feet are on a hard ground, you know, it's not variable terrain at all. It's very smooth type thing, right? But getting outside of that, getting outside of the norm, which sadly is the norm because evolutionarily it's incredibly abnormal, right? The way that most of us live our, live our lives now, but going back to that, kind of returning back to basics, returning back to human, returning back to nature, uh, it's, it's, it's profound, man. It's profound. And, and it, it's something that is accessible uh, you know, to almost anybody, at least for an afternoon, you know? Yeah. When my mascara starts to melt is when I know I need to go outside. That is my cue. When I feel the mascara drip into my eyeball, that is my cue that I, I need to go outside and experience some chill, chill, fresh air. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what was, the, what was the most challenging part of this hike? Was, was there any, any part that was unplanned or unexpected that was really tough as shit to get through. We had anticipated hiking faster than we hiked uh, due to heavy pack, wild terrain, um, you know, the elevation gain up and down uh, on super sketchy, gnarly terrain. We averaged one mile an hour the first five days and we hiked about 50 mm -hmm. miles, 48 miles. So we were just, Gutting it out, bro. Gutting it out. A couple days in, we so we didn't eat enough food the first few days. Uh, we very badly under ate. We ate like a normal day's worth of food. 
you know, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more. Uh, but we were burning close to, if not more than 7,500 calories per day. Uh, Damn. Is, is what we, we calculated out based on pack weight, elevation, mileage, et cetera, time on feed, right? So the third day, we had, we had brought more food, right? We had brought close to that weight, probably over that weight. We ended up giving some of that away. We left it at a shelter to cut weight to make Rue's pack and my pack a little bit more manageable, which helped given the elevation in the days mm. that, we, that we had up to that point. So we got 48 miles in. We're four nights, five days into this trek now. And we, are, we had a 14-mile day, right? So we're ending a 14-mile day to get to mile 48. And it's been a long-ass day. We're, we're hiking about like two miles an hour now because we had kind of crested it, you know, and kind of maybe we had a yeah. little bit longer of a, of a decline, maybe a mile and a half. It's been a long day, but had consecutive long days, right? four or five, five days in a row now. And we go to cook dinner and Rue pulls out all her bags of food and I pull out all my bags of food and we start adding everything up and looking at stuff. And we're like, all right, well, let's like double check. And so we're like double checking pockets and like dump all the food out. And we've, we've got like 4,000 calories worth of food, maybe a little less total. And for how many days left? We had planned on doing the, quote, easy half of this hike. The first half mm-hmm. had a ton of elevation gain. The yeah. second half had, was kind of like long, steady with like two or three mountains, not 10, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we had planned on five days. We we're going to do five easy days. And we had enough calories, about half as much calories that one of us should have been eating for one day. Uh, left, so you have 4,000. Which was still a volume amount of food. Yeah, it's 4,000 total yeah. or 4,000 each? Uh, total. 4,000 total calories for the last half yeah, of the last, this hike. The last 52 miles. Jesus Christ. So we had a real gut check moment, right? We had like a real, literally, like, oh, fuck. Literally, yeah, yeah like, literally, check literally. our guts. Like, do we, can we throw up anything and eat it again? Like, yeah, is there anything dude. left in there? <laughs> We, you know, so we assessed some stuff and it was like, all right, like we had planned on eating, I brought a pound of salmon, like a, uh, like a salmon packet or whatever. And, and that was, you know, that wasn't included in the 4,000. We were going to eat that that night regardless. So we we're like, all right, let's eat, eat what we have. And, you know, I said, I mean, we didn't really have any options, man. That's, that's the crazy thing about this. It's like, all right, we could have turned around and gone 48 miles backwards to the car. <laughs> Yeah. Or we keep going, finish the thing in 52 miles through the quote easiest part, right? Not easy, yeah. but easy, easier. And uh, so that's what we did. We ended up getting service at mile like 55 or 60 in one of the first little little mountains on Rue's phone. We called the shuttle that was supposed to pick us up Friday at three to pick us up at Wednesday at noon. And this, we woke up at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. and left at 6 a.m. on Monday morning and we hiked 22 miles on Monday. We hiked 24 miles, 23 and a half miles in 15 hours on Tuesday and then woke up the next day and gutted out again uh, for the last God eight miles. Damn. On, on, you know, we had that 4,000 calories. Now, when we made that decision, it was like, like, I, you know, I guess we could have called, there was a road at mile 65. Uh, that was a logging road that had been put in in the last like five years. So 45 minute drive. Apparently people do drops there. We didn't know that you could drop food and we probably wouldn't have done that anyways, but 
miracles happen, bro. It's called trail magic. Yeah. Trail magic, right? So we had a trail magic moment. And when Rue and I decided, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to keep going. We can do this. We're going to get up early. We're going to try to hit, you know, 20 plus days. We're looking at the maps. We're like, if we can get to here, you know, and then if we can get to here, then we can get up early and then get to where we need to be, you know, so we're strategizing it out, right? You know, we eat this, this day, et cetera. You know, I, I thought, hey, we gave food away and food that could be really valuable at this point, you know, and, and it was great not having to hike with it, but we're going to be, something's going to happen. Like we're going to be provided for in some way, right? So we, we just trusted it. We're going to make it. We're not going to die. It's going to be fine. It's going to be shitty, but we're going to do it, right? Trust the karma. Trust the karma and, and trust the circumstance. Trust yourself. Mm-hmm. Trust the ability to do it. So we decided to wake up the next morning at 5 a.m., and break down camp and leave at six. It's fucking cold, by the way. Uh, especially oh, yeah. in the morning. Yeah, super cold, man. Uh, we get up and we're we were gonna hike ten miles fasted. Right, we're gonna do the first ten fasted. Mm-hmm. Right, and then at ten miles we were gonna eat this little like oatmeal bar called a bobo and one thing of beef jerky, and that was our lunch. And then we're gonna wait until we had you know our one freeze dried meal that we were gonna split for dinner, and like we were just rationing it out. So spirits were high. We could do this. It's going to be great. Keeping good, good vibes, drinking water, making pretty good time, making like two mile an hour, a little bit more than even. And, like and you guys good. are on like 800 calories a day at this point, pretty much like around there. So we had up to this point been eating about half as much as we needed to be eating, but still mm-hmm. 4,000, three or 4,000 calories a day, mm-hmm. right? The start of this day, the start of, you know, I guess day six is, is the start of a long day and mm-hmm. we we're underfed still, we're overworked still, we're cold, et cetera. And from this point on, we each have about 2000 calories mm-hmm. total for the 52 okay. miles. And so the first 10 miles of those 52 miles on the first morning, after we make that decision that we've got two and a half days, we got to get to Apple bridge by noon on Wednesday and it's Monday morning. Uh, at mile 9.75, we get to that little logging road. And I see a fucking car. And I'm like, holy shit, you know, what is this? And we're gonna stop and eat our food at 10 miles again. And at 9.75, this this road is here, this car is here. And I had no idea. And there's a lady there from St. Louis. She has a table. And her son, who has a trail name of Everclear, had gone through the day before and she had giving him food and he was hiking through from Georgia since February and she hadn't seen him and he's going to summit the mountain and finish the trail in the next two days. And she's got a day to kill here. And she just wanted to give back to the hiking community, like the hiking community had given back to her son. And this fucking angel had a table with food on it. Take what you want. And it was it, you know, ham sandwich, uh, Doritos, Sprite, Oreos, fucking all candy, trail mix, applesauce, like all kinds of shit, right? And that was quite literally, like, I don't know what we would have done if we hadn't gotten and met that lady because, you know, I, I had probably 10 Oreos, a Sprite, handful of Doritos, <laughs> applesauce, yeah. trail mix, a ham sandwich, right? And Rue did the same thing. And not only that moral victory, but also that actual, like, holy shit, our bodies actually had the calories it needed for the first time in a couple mm-hmm. days and for this trek ahead. 
it allowed us to save our food until like three o'clock that day, like almost 20, you know, 15 plus miles in. Um, so man, we did a 22 mile, 12 hour day. We hiked 6 AM to 6 PM. And then we did a, we hiked 6 AM to 9 PM. We did night hiking the next day and we did 23 miles that day. God damn. So, so, so if that lady didn't appear from the heavens, yeah, you guys would have had the the two and a half days that you were gonna hike the last fifty two miles on two thousand calories each. Oh, so yeah. literally, literally like seven eight hundred calories a day, something like that. When you're Correct. burning an extra seventy five hundred because of hiking. Correct. Correct. That is absurd. And it was absurd. And we, we ended up, you know, so I probably ate three or 4,000 calories on that, on that thing. It still was super fucking low, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. but we, we ended up, we ended up getting that boost. We had a, a pretty gnarly river crossing. We had, to, we had to navigate, um, which was, was waist high, but moving pretty quick and it was pretty hairy, uh, but we, we figured that out. And then we, uh, we had our last meal. We were going to decide whether we wanted to either get up in the morning and hike 12 miles and cut it real fucking close or hike like four miles at night and then wake up and do it, do eight. Mm-hmm. So we decided to do the latter. And our last meal was, uh, one packet of boil and bag brown rice, uh, at about 180 calories. And then one packet of tuna, uh, one of the, one of those like lunchable type style tunas, mm-hmm. which was yeah. 14 grams of protein, 200 calories. And we, we put that in this little, this little jet boil bowl, you know, about this big. And we each had our little spork and we were eating out of it. And then we put spring water in that bowl and boiled the water and added salt, the last of our, of our wares. And we ate the last of the food that we had at probably 6 PM that night, overlooking this gorgeous lake called rainbow lake up there. And then we started night hiking and, you know, we drank the broth, we sat out into the night, super fucking sketchy, by the way, uh, <laughs> like hearing moose yeah. and shit, like call from across the lake and like just seeing this thing and, and, you know, literally just the little circle of your, of your, you know, headlamp, uh, found, found a tent and, and it was zombie hiking, man. You know, you were talking about that, that earlier, like stays, being a, asleep on your feet. You know, being that yeah, tired, it yeah. was it was days of zombie walking, just about. Um, but we did it, man. So you guys, you didn't, you ate what you ate at the stand that the lady yep. and her son had, but you didn't pack your bags full of food or anything like that. You you no. ate and then you went on with the food that you had. Yes. And so it wasn't it wasn't like you were stuffing your faces after that. You no. could eat a ton at the stand, and then you were still surviving on the two thousand each after that correct i took an applesauce and she took an applesauce and that was you know because there were other there were other hikers and you know yeah. it didn't feel right to be like hey can i grab like this mm-hmm. whole bag of chips and <laughs> you know like yeah like i could have really used it you know like hey can i have three more sprites please and <laughs> you know yeah shit. can you leave a trail of applesauces exactly. for me can you drive like 50 miles ahead and then come backwards with applesauce yes exactly god damn um so, so how did how did you feel physically hiking or physically and mentally because um sometimes those are those are a blur yeah yeah hiking hiking fasted i've never done 
a fasted hike even close to that length for and also doing it it's like seven eight days in i you're still on low calories you're still burning a shit ton every single day what did you pack feel so like heavy. as you were doing it <laughs> yeah. yeah pat you're still carrying yeah yeah like you're literally uh you have more calories uh from spirit than you do food you're no running on spirit and energy at that point how, how did it physically feel on an acute level hiking is probably the best thing you could do fasted you know, especially like a, like a two or three hour hike, if you want to kick yourself into ketosis, or if you want to just really have a lot of mental clarity, like, you know, doing a, a you know, four, five, six, eight, ten 10 mile hike fast, is a fantastic thing. Um, you know, given the amount, of, given all those other factors that you mentioned, and that we, we had talked about, uh, it was, I found myself losing focus, first and foremost right? My, my self-talk was okay. For the most part, I had a couple like shitty mornings. I had two or three mornings where it was just like, just not having fun at all for a couple mm-hmm. hours, you know, given the cold and the stress and the, and the, you know, the fucking weight of the backpack going up a mountain is just like, I, I just get frustrated. Like I'd walk like 20 yards and be like, fuck, I got to take this fucking thing off again. Cause it's, fucking hard <laughs> I like, need to like chill yeah. for a second you know and and not getting too hot like you can't get too sweaty you can't just like go and bang it because then you get hot and sweaty and cold and mm-hmm. you know when you stop you get cold and etc you know so just having to manage all that um the hiking fasted overall i mean it got into a little rhythm right and and when the when the trail opened up out of 100 miles we might have had being super generous 15 or 20 that was like an open stride trail now all of that just about all of that was on the the second half so the last two and a half days and so we had a couple points where we could actually like pick up the pace walk it out and that felt really good but but hiking fasted on you know in that deficit on technical terrain was, was really sketchy, man. It's really sketchy. Uh, it's not fun. It's not like a fun, enjoyable experience. It's like every step needs to be super calculated. I ate shit a number of times. Uh, one so bad that I shattered my hiking pole, uh, on, on a rock that just, then it was gone, you know, and I'm straight back in the air. And, um, luckily we both avoided pretty major injury, but it, it was over time and towards the end of the trip, it's the it's the stepping down from stuff that really started to to wear on the front of the mm-hmm. knees on the ankles on on everything else um physically just very beat and worn down and that tiredness oh, yeah, that, like in the back of the head like in the behind your mm-hmm. eyes tired you know yeah i i mean i've i've done hikes fully fed for six or seven miles and I, and i'm going down and sometimes i zone out for a split second and uh, especially on the way down, like you said, my knee will buckle or like hyperextend a little bit because I wasn't looking where I was stepping or I, I wasn't putting my, I wasn't gradually putting my weight on that foot. I was just trusting that the ground was fine there. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, just plopping down. And I'm like, my knee goes to the side. I'm like, I could have just like fucking caved in my knee right there. And I, it's just two seconds zoned out with all of the calories I needed for that day. And so I can't imagine having to be technically scanning the terrain. You're doing it at night too for some of it. And you're you're starving. Not like you're not just hungry, you're like physically 
starving eating itself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like the technical, like when people are like starving, that's like you're, you're actually starving. I used the fat on my body, which is like what it was there for. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Yes. And, and you need to be not only physically aware, um, or, or physically ready to go, but also mentally locked in for every second. Because if you take a second off, you could fucking buckle the, buckle your knee totally. or trip and, and break your wrist or, you know, go the wrong direction. And then you've just burned another 300 calories for no reason and, the, and then go back. So it's, it's, it sounds like it's this crazy, you know, twisted, sublime experience of navigating through nature almost like high from the fasting, but like drained at the same time, like, uh, uh, like spiritually high and fucking like physically drained. And, and it made the highs really fucking high and it made the lows really fucking low. And I think that was the, the other really cool thing about it is when, when in a depleted state that tends to happen, you know, like, like you're more on your edges, you're more afraid, you know? And so like, if there's joy, there's like, oh my God, I'm going to fucking cry. That rainbow is so beautiful joy, you know, or like, oh my God, I'm going to fucking cry because we made it to the top of this God damned fucking mountain. And now we get to pitch our tent and, you know, go to bed, you know? And then there's the, the opposite of those, you know, they're like, holy shit, I'm going to cry because this is the hardest thing we've ever done, you know? And, and yet, um, I got to give so much, so much credit and props to Ruslana because she not only is a complete and utter fucking savage for having a 40 pound bag and doing this, you know, and her second time ever camping, let alone backpacking or anything. God damn. <laughs> yeah. It was her idea to begin with. Uh, but yeah. her attitude the whole time her positivity, man, like we stuck together when, when I was down, she was up. And when, when, you know, she was down, I was up and, and we, we just made it through, man. And, and we really, I, I, that experience would have shattered just about every other relationship I've, I had ever had. Like looking back at various, you know, uh, even long-term relationships I've had, there's 0% chance we would have pulled that shit off, let alone done so like having as much joy and reverence for the experience that we did. And a lot of that credit goes to, goes to her and, you know, the relationship that we've been able to build. And, um, it was just super fucking cool to share that with, you know, somebody I love as well. So, so if you want to, you're saying, if you want to test out your relationship, if you're, if you're not sure if you guys are going to make it, no doubt. go, go on, on a hundred, hundred mile zombie hike through the Appalachian trail and see if you guys are still together by the end. You'll learn a lot of shit about yourself and yeah. your partner. That's for sure. You know, and part yeah. of it was like, oh, it's going to be a super like romantic. Like we're going to spend ten days out in the wild, and it's going to, dude. No, not at all. Yeah, any way, shape, or form. It's <laughs> like yeah, just it's like you're trying to you're trying to get trying to uh, live. romantic, romantic and sexual, and trying to dirty talk to each other. And you're like, I don't have enough calories to dirty talk out loud, so I'm just gonna like telepathically send you my dirty thoughts, and and that's how we're gonna do it because I don't have the calories right now. And you're in your sleeping bag, and I'm in my sleeping bag, and neither one of us showered in seven days, and you know, like, nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait till that hotel yeah. room afterwards. Yeah, and I will tell you what, uh, man. When we finish this trip, bro, there is such a profound sense of 
joy and happiness, not only in that it was done and we did it, but that it was done and we did it, you know, like it was like the completion of the goal. We checked off the box, we did the thing. And then, oh my God, we don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> so yeah. it was, it was really rad. We got picked up at Abel bridge a hundred miles later, um, by the guy that ran the hostel where we parked the car and, uh, he drove us straight 45 minutes, an hour later to a convenience store, which is the first thing that we actually saw. He's like, Hey man, when's the next, where's civilization? Where can we buy some food? You know? And he was like, you got an hour, you know, but, uh, there's a store and I'll never forget it. Rue and I walked into the store and she turned to me and her jaw dropped and she put her hands over her face and she just said, they have food here. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like so happy and excited, even though knowing it's a fucking thing. There's food here. They have food here. Oh my God. Yeah. So dude. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, I can't believe we found another woman who set up a store just in case hikers... (laughs) There's shelves, there's shelves stocked with food. This is the most insane angel stop I've ever seen in my ever life. Seen in our life. You're just like, yeah, you're just scooping food. You look at the guy, you're just like, thanks, dude. And <laughs> just ripping open bags as, as I'm standing in line. You know? Yeah, he he must he must be used to delusionally tired fasted 100%. hikers going into the store and just 100%. being like, I can't speak to you until I eat four bags of chips and then I can reach into my wallet and pay for everything that I just destroyed. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, that's a, uh, they, they embrace the hiker community in and around there. It's funny because I was, I was searching around on some of the Appalachian Trail forums before this podcast. And there are a lot of people who have never hiked the Appalachian Trail um, or have done smaller hikes on the Appalachian Trail, like day hikes, and they form these communities where they refer to themselves as angels. So they'll actually go into the trail and leave things specifically for hikers and set up stops. Um, it sounds like this woman would fit into that category where 100%. she may not be hiking the trail, but she makes sure that people have the supplies they need. They leave dry socks. They leave some canned food. I saw... One guy said, thanks, angels, in the Reddit forum. And it was a clip, like one of those clips you would use to hang up clothes. And then it had a joint tucked into the clip that you couldn't really see unless you look close. And he like opened it up and it dropped out. So that was, uh, it, it was really cool seeing all the people make an investment in someone and someone's experience after them. And they're, they're never going to hear from those people who use their things or never, they may never have an interaction with them. And there's this kind of selfless mentality. It seems like for people who do the trail where we're going to leave something here behind because we know how much this sucks. And like the fucking piece of food that you walk past on the sidewalk in Brooklyn that, is garbage to you would be an absolute life-saving gesture to someone who's, you know, eight days into the Appalachian Trail that has a thousand calories left. If someone had given, had been the, hey man, you want the rest of the sandwich? I'd have taken it from anybody. Anybody. From a bear. <laughs> yeah, dude, bite, bite marks <laughs> hey, You want all. the rest of it? Come get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah come get it, big boy. I'd be <laughs> like, all right, I'll throw down. Um, you know, and, 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 to that point, it put a lot of things into perspective, you know, again, like being able to shower, uh, you know, sleeping with 
you know, the temperature at 68 as opposed to fucking, you know, 41, um, uh, you know, being able to eat food, not having like being able to like open a faucet and like get water not have to spend literally a minute, like pressing with all my might onto this bottle to process the water and then be able to drink the water. You know, I mean, there's just so many of those amenities and things that we tend to take for granted, uh, that a trip like this can really help to highlight and illustrate for, for people. And it, it did for me. You know, and the the angels, man, like, dude, how often, what else can we do for that? Like, how can we apply that angel mentality to people, not only in our own lives, but, you know, that we may interact with? Like, Rue came back and made made uh, food bags to give to homeless people or whatever, you know, and, and we've actually, we asked, one guy was like, no, nah, I don't want your bag. And I was like, all right, cool. You know, but most of the people who were like, hey, you want some food? And they're like, fuck yeah you know and so like here take a little baggie you know and like you know being able to to spread that because again i don't know where we would have been without that angel without that lady and she may damn well have been literally a spirit <laughs> there for us yeah right like dude i don't know man it was some sketch it was it, some weird if, shit if it, if it looks like food and it feels like food and it feels like a person handing it to you then what's the difference Just don't ask questions Just, yeah ma'am can i have a couple more oreos to, to go please thank you <laughs> did you did you feel like you were like the fast was getting to you in, in terms of reality or seeing things or anything like that did, did you feel like you actually had perceptual changes or was it purely the the tiredness and lack of focus and the hunger yeah i think it was more that um i you know i started a i'm on a three-day fast right now i'm on day one right because I'm, I'm resetting right and uh this one's intentional this one's with water and good salt and i'm going to refeed afterwards and you know i'm not hiking 12 hours a day right um but the where I might have some of that, like some of that more mental acuity now, and that's kind of the, the point. A lot of that, a lot of the benefits of the fast, so to speak, was just overridden by being tired and exhausted and cold and et cetera. And you mentioned harnessing that mentality of leaving things behind for people. I feel like in situations where I'm traveling, uh, traveling especially, I will change my mindset to be more open to interactions mm -hmm. and I'll, you know, be kinder to people because I want to make uh, most of the time short-term relationships with people that it's, it's genuine and they may learn something from me. I'm trying to learn something from them, where to go, where to eat, you know, are you guys going out tonight? Like what's, what's the deal with what's going on here? And then sometimes I forget that I could come home and do the same exact thing in Brooklyn. I can consciously say, I'm going to turn the dial up today 20% on talking to strangers or mm -hmm. being kind or just walking into a random bar because there's music blasting and uh, it was a good idea in Columbia. So why not do it on the way home from the, the gym or something? And so uh, that's a good point. Um, on taking the experience back with you in some ways and, and learning to incorporate it into your life after. Yeah. And, and it, it took me a while to integrate, man. It really felt, it felt like 
Like if, if Dave, if me, if my physical and mental self was run on like four double D batteries, you know, or like or D batteries, right? Like the first Dave's D, yeah, Dave's D, Dave's, dude, another, another, another billion dollar idea. God. Dave's D batteries. Dave's D batteries, <laughs> man. Just stacking these ideas. Yeah. <laughs> just wait till you guys get the, your hands on the Dave's CBD. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> CBD, D, yeah. D batteries. And Dave's D, the the CBD lube. Exactly. God, stacking those billion dollar ideas. Stacking them. So I only had one battery operating the week mm-hmm. I got back. And I just basically added a battery a week. And now I'm four weeks out. I feel pretty much back to normal. Um, but my whole system, my whole being, my dude, I, I lost I lost close to 15 pounds. I lost 13 pounds on in oh, eight damn. days. Um you know, gain 25 of that back, <laughs> right? Then yeah. I've been intentional with gaining it back, trust me. Um, yeah. But the it took a while to integrate. And yet the things that I have brought back from the experience, I, I would almost waste the experience if I didn't utilize some of those lessons. If I didn't, you know, um, actually try to harness some of the power of that or some of those lessons or some of what I felt and, and use it in, in my day-to-day life or, you know, at least more often, like you said, you know, turn up the dial on attuning to nature, turn down, down the dial on the cell phone, you know, and, and just et cetera, et cetera. Is there something specifically that you've found yourself tapping into after the hike for whether it's working out or interactions with people, being in nature, something that you've been intentionally tapping into post-hike? expanding on the idea of how right that that hike felt and how much how good it felt to be so intentional starting to get the ball rolling on having that be more of what i'm doing on a regular basis you know so maybe whether that's more hikes or you know uh, maybe we can pick up a piece of land uh you know ruslan is looking at transitioning to you know some uh, a work from home position, you know, so we can't, can't have more flexibility, like just realizing how much, how beautiful it was to be disconnected from society. <laughs> right. And as much as I love seeing my friends and family yeah. and, you know, doing shit like this, uh, having a yeah. really healthy balance between what I did and, and have it not be a trip of a lifetime because it was, it was a trip of a lifetime, mm-hmm. but I want to have that trip of a lifetime on a damn regular basis and you know be able to have build my life to the point where i've got the flexibility to do that and um you know where my social media doesn't suffer if i have social media and you know uh, i go away for two weeks you know that that type of thing so just being really intentional on on the time that i'm spending now so that that end goal can be realized so I, I wanted to go back to the relationship stuff a little bit as yeah. we end off. You you mentioned strengthening the relationship. And so there's the cliche that if you travel together, you will find out the cracks in your relationship. It's a bit like traveling is blowing air into the balloon of the relationship. And if there's a crack, it'll just fucking leak out or burst. And you guys said, fuck it, we'll just, we'll travel and we'll travel a hundred miles walking on very little calories, carrying heavy packs. Is there something that you realize to a deeper level about what a successful relationship 
looks like and feel like? Because you mentioned that you you felt like it brought you guys closer, that it strengthened you guys. Was there something specifically in, in interactions, moments where you understood at a deeper level, like, oh, this is what it feels like to be able to get through shit together. I have not experienced this in the past. And this is something that is a form of a glue that we are doing together that will benefit us long after this trek. Yeah, great question. How I noticed how much the little things help and how kind, like how genuinely awesome it is to, you know, hey, I've got my bag. I got my pack. Oh, I forgot to pick up my hiking poles. And like before Rue put her bag on, she scooped down, pick up the hiking poles, hands them to me. So I don't have to try to fucking bend over with this big ass pack on. You know, like I could do it, yeah. you know, and I still had to do it a lot of times, you know, but like, that's what a kind gesture, you know? And it's just so many like looking out for one another and, and, you know, uh, just trying to pick one another up in those moments or check in on one another and, and just truly caring about our, each other's well-being was um that the more you can tune into that the more we can tune into that i I think that the better off any relationship would be and then having the communication having the talk doing something together right like we really co-created this experience together and you know that was in the planning process that was in the the doing process um you know but making sure that 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 stayed together like hey we're gonna hike this far, you know, what do you think about that? You know, like, uh, well, maybe we can get to this. It's like, all right, well, let's just play by ear, you know, and just talking it out, being adaptable, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Rue is such a positive person to begin with. And, and I, I don't think I could have done that with a negative person. Like I wouldn't have been on the trip with a negative person. I wouldn't be with a negative person, but you, you could have, you could have, but instead of her picking down, pick, uh, reaching down to hand you your poles, she would have reached away down, and grabbed the poles, <laughs> and then just like fucking awesome. swipe, swipe the legs out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yo, like, these you, want, poles? You, you really, yeah, the, you mean my poles, you little bitch? <laughs> right, right. This was your fucking idea. I'll see you, I'll see you later. Exactly. I'll see you later. Exactly. I, I don't know why I'm talking like a 42 year old man, but I'll see you later, Dave. We're done. Yeah, well, luckily this time there's no place to bail in the middle of this thing. So, you know. Do you see yourself doing the full Appalachian Trail in the future? The 2,100 plus miles, I believe it is, from from Georgia to Maine? I, I guess, Mount Maine Katahdin and Northern Maine. Yep. Mount Katahdin, yeah. Georgia to Maine. I don't. Not right now. That's a long ass time to hike. Uh, I think it would be... I, I think there's sections of the world and the country specifically that I would like to hike more, uh, that, you know, maybe not, not on the Appalachian trail. I, I definitely am going to hike interesting segments of it, but the checking off of the box of doing it isn't that appealing to me at this point in my life. Um, there's a couple other trails I'd really love to see. I'd love to hike the John Muir trail, which is Yosemite and Sequoia and like, you know, hundred, mm. couple, 200 some miles, I think. Uh, I'd like to do the Santiago de Camino and, Spain. It's a pilgrimage in northern Spain. Uh, that's a much more like religious experience and much less wildernessy. But that would be very cool. So that, I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of things I'd like to do, but I don't think I'm going to hike the whole thing. At least right not right now. So you you have your eye on other hundred, two hundred mile pockets in the world right now, rather than going for the full thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And I, I like how I'm using the word pockets for 200 mile hikes. So I'm like, compared <laughs> right. to the Appalachian Trail, like, oh yeah, let's just let's just do this pocket in Spain, just like bang out a quick 200 I, and we'll hit the bars. I appreciated that language usage. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I, honestly though, I, I think the the really cool thing would be like two to three day hikes, right? You know, maybe maybe hike ideally, do a long hike up into some place, pitch your tent stay at some beautiful place by a lake in the mountains, yada, yada, stay for the whole day, you know, go to sleep there and then wake up the next day, unpitch your tent and break camp and hike back. I, and, you know, and you can even mm-hmm. do like a 20 miles in, 20 miles out even, you know, have it be a long motherfucking day if you really wanted yeah. to, but not having to bring that much food slash bringing enough food that you can actually fucking eat it and, <laughs> and not having to bring yeah. all the, you know, the extra clothes and the layers. Like there's a lot of lessons learned from a packing perspective that, that I had to make next future hiking experiences a lot more manageable yeah. and enjoyable. Did you ever, did you ever hit a point on the hike where you thought to yourself, I could accomplish the same level of fulfillment and achievement by doing half of this hike or two thirds of this hike? Or were you like fully sold in from the beginning where you're like, we're doing hundred miles, hundred miles is a hundred miles. We're doing it. Um, we'll, we'll do something else another time, but this one's a hundred. That, that we, or at least I committed to, uh, you know, that once we had gotten the ball rolling on it, like we were going to do a hundred, um, you know, there were that one road, like, I'm sure we could have asked angel lady, like, Hey, like we're fucking done. Do you, can you take us to, you know, a stop and then we'll get it, you know, we'll call like, I'm, we probably could have arranged a ride out of there at that time, you know, but that didn't like, we were there to do it. And there were lots of times where I didn't want to do it. There were times when I was like, oh, fuck, this is bullshit. And I would quit now if I could, you know, but we got to keep fucking walking, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I'm just so glad that I did it, you know, but I think the it was a good amount of time, you know, to extend that out by 20 times, you know, to do 2000 miles. Like, I, I don't know whether that, that would be enjoyable at that point. Oh, dude, I... I... <laughs> there was a post I saw of, uh, in the in one of the forums for the, the Appalachian Trail about a five-year-old completing that. the entire 2,100-mile yep. hike, um, Appalachian Trail. And the question I have for you is, Dave Robinson, do you consider that a call-out by this five-year-old to hike the entire Appalachian Trail? Um, because he looked into the camera right at the mountaintop and said, "Get strapped, stay strapped, motherfucker." I'll, I'll see you. At, I'll see you at I'll the see end. At the top. I'll see you at the end. You know, I <laughs> do five consider five year old kid. It was a five year old kid. I was very surprised when I saw this video. I said, "Wow, his his parents have aggressive language." But you know what? He just hiked twenty one hundred miles. Super aggressive at, language. At three feet at three foot five. And kudos to that kid too, man. And think about that. That was like. Yeah. That's, you know, uh, uh, 15% of that kid's life, like, and, and close to, you know, 50% of his life, he could actually fucking perceive, you know, he's been on his trail. Yeah. Like, that's such a rad, rad way to be on a come up. I wanted to, I wanted to end off with a quote that is even more fitting now that we talked about social media in the beginning. 
And so this guy posted a picture on the Reddit page of White Top Mountain, Virginia. And the caption was, woke up to red states. Oh, sorry. <laughs> woke up to no red states and no blue states. Just red skies and negative wind chills. 2020. White Top Mountain, Virginia. Did you feel... Do you feel any resonation with that quote after you did the the hike about just like politics not even being a thing or like society even at some level not being a thing when you're out there? 100%, man. It's just people are people, you know, and, and nature is nature and, and you're just living. You're there. It's that's as simple as it can be. Fucking A. Well, this has been a fucking... <laughs> fuck, yeah, fucking A. <laughs> Love it. A, sa- a, a savage, a savage talk as always. Just like all the rest of our conversations, every single time you ignite some part of the little inner bitch inside me that needs to go a bit further outside the comfort zone, and you inspire me to do that by talking about this hike and by sharing about it after you guys got back and. Just you as a person, it's always a, it's always a pleasure talking to you, and and I fucking love talking to you because selfishly it, it's amazing to have your insight, and and I love the conversation, and then also it it pushes me forward to do things that I think I ultimately would have it within myself to do, but you push me to do it sooner than later. So so thank you for this conversation. I'm definitely going to incorporate some of this fire into future trips with myself and also myself and Julie, my girlfriend. And and I mentioned at the beginning, you know, one of the greatest days that we had out on the California trip was because you recommended that camping spot. And so I'm looking forward to the other spots that we'll we'll share together in the future, whether we're we're there at the same time or different times and we're kind of piggybacking off each other. So... Thank you, Dave. And before I forget, please plug everything that you have, website, email, health and revelry. Um, where can people find you and reach out? Thank you. First and foremost, I appreciate that. It means a lot. Um, workyourstories.com, workyourstories at gmail.com, healthandrevelry.com, and I'm at get strapped, stay strapped on Instagram. Uh, Love chatting with you, bro, always, and stoked to, to maybe one day we'll share a tent together. You know, who knows? Who knows? Oh, yeah. If you wear I, that I, mascara, I was, definitely, I was, definitely. I, I, was, I, was, I was in your guy's tent. I forgot to tell you. <laughs> I, was, right. I was in the oh, Appalachian perfect. Trail at the same time. That wasn't a deer. Right, wasn't, that, that was oh, me. Damn, I, 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 just, was you. I just, I just snuck in for a quick cuddle. That That's was all. It. That's all. <laughs> Appreciate um, it, dude. But yeah, dude, th- thanks again. Chop, chop. Chop, chop. Talk to you soon. What's up, guys? Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. Before you go, this is a reminder for you guys that I'm dropping bonus episodes on Auxoro Premium. For less than five bucks per month, you get a two-hour bonus episode every month of my show, The Aux, that covers exciting and sometimes twisted topics like MKUltra, the COVID lab leak, Tim Dillon, Tom Cruise, the Tuskegee experiment, the obesity epidemic, and more. You also get monthly solo episodes with my takes on drugs, sex, money, creativity, mindfulness, and you have the ability to submit topic suggestions for both of my shows, The Aux and The Auxoro Podcast. 
Expect three hours of new exclusive podcast content per month, including access to all archived episodes found nowhere else but Auxoro Premium. For less than five bucks per month, come join the premium gang today at auxoro.supercast.com. That's auxoro.supercast.com for the best deal in premium podcasting. See you there.